Well, this is the year of yes. We are, uh, we're in the year of yes. Hashtag yes in Christ. Anybody get the tattoo? That's what I want to know. Raise your hand. Did you get the hashtag? Yes. Well, I'm not letting you see my bum then because I don't want to be the only one. That's not, that's not true. Um, yes in Christ. We are doing the year of yes and we're doing a, a number of sermon, uh, uh, small sermon series on yes uh, uh, items that are topics that go along with yes in Christ. We're talking about promises. This, uh, this month. And uh, by the way, did you see the little board that's now new out there in the, just in the northwest corner of the lobby? There is a, uh, there's a little alcove. There is a uh, magnetic chalkboard. And I want you to go by there and see that because um, that is a board with some cards on it magnetically that were, um, came out of your response last week in Art Sermon, which by the way, a little golf applause for Art Sermon last week. Appreciate the work. Uh, it was an awesome message, and it was a message about that God has promised us a Savior. And many people responded to this idea of defanging the, the snake, remember, the way that we need to be saved and we need to be rescued. And then also he gave the invitation for those people who have, for the first time, said yes to salvation by Jesus. You know, we talk a lot about our journey uh, spiritually. We talk about moving toward Christ. We talk about walking with God. We use words like that. But we also want to keep in mind and to remember that there comes a time when we've made a decision of our will to say yes. Our yes meets his yes, where he has promised a Savior, and we say, yes, I need a Savior, and I need you, Jesus. And, um, and I surrender my life to you and receive all of your grace and all of your forgiveness and your life for me. And that's called becoming a Christian, and that's a moment in time that it happens in our lives. Sometimes we fall over that and we look back and realize we had the moment, and sometimes we know right in the moment we're having that moment for some people. But all of us have had that moment once in our lives. And uh, some of you made that decision last week, and we think that's really cool. And if you'll notice, if you go stand and look at some of the prayers of some of the yeses of God you've offered a Savior, and you look at those cards, it's moving. So it's a kind of a neat little prayer altar, but you'll also notice that there's a few cards on there where people have said, I said yes to Jesus being my Savior. Yes, God, uh, I need you to be my Savior today. And uh, so we're celebrating that. I think that's great news that there are people that have become Christians and that are starting their journey with God. Uh, a little golf applause for that. We think that's sweet. And um, so I bring that out because I want you to see that board and, and, um, and, and see that as a holy place and a, and a sweet place that will encourage you and, and give expression to some of our um, responses. But I also share it with you to say God's working in our midst. And then I also share it with you because if you were somebody who for the first time gave your life to Jesus last week, we want to know about it. I want to know about it so we can help you grow. So what I want you to do is uh, in a little response card for the offering plate later um, or to just do a quick uh, email to me right now on your little device or wherever. Just say, hey, Jeff, I just became a Christian. Uh, help me make the most out of my new life with him. Okay? Because we want to help you grow. Does that make sense? Isn't that good news? It's all great stuff. Hey, when we go to uh, pray together, let's come into the word. Let's pray and put our hands out like this as a symbol of our receptivity before him. This is our symbol, God. We come to you believing that you're in this place and that you will speak through your word. So by your Holy Spirit who shepherded this, who inspired it and then shepherded the word through the ages, come now and speak to us through it. We believe that we can hear from you, God, and we don't want to miss what you have for us, so that's why we adopt this posture that you would pour out from heaven your truth, your challenge, your encouragement, your training, your 
correction. Whatever I need, God, I don't want to miss it. So come and speak, for your servants are listening. If that's your prayer, say amen. We're in the promise. We're talking about promises. Last week was God uh, promised to send a Savior. And the title of my sermon today is, this week, it's the, it's the, the gift the Father has promised. The gift the Father has promised. Uh, in 1976, I was, uh, I was 15 years old, and, and Jack Baker was sleeping over at my house. Jack Baker, was, uh, he, Jack Baker had a very cool motorcycle. That was really, that was, Jack Baker had a very cool motorcycle. And he was the best athlete in our high school, and he was probably about the best-looking guy in our high school. So it super worked out for me to be friends with him. I loved that. And um, motorcycle, good athlete, and uh, so girls always. So uh, he's sleeping over at my house. My parents were... Um, a wall, I don't know. And uh, so in the middle of the night, thought it was a great idea that I would go over to Jenny Allen's house and throw pebbles at her window. Didn't you think that's always a good idea in the middle of the night when you're 15? I didn't have a driver's license, but I knew how to ride a motorcycle. And so I got on Jack's motorcycle to ride over to Jenny's house. And um, that's what you do when you're 15, apparently. And so I went over there. And in, I don't know if they still have this on motorcycles, but back then, you know, because I, I haven't been allowed to ride a motorcycle in years. So, um, uh, so there's this little fuel switch on a motorcycle, and it's either on on, because you know which accesses the gas tank, or it's on off, which shuts the fuel off, or it's on what? Reserve. Reserve yeah. So you still have that, Dobkins, on your bike? Is it? So back then, you would do it so that when you drove your motorcycle and there wasn't much gas in the tank, when you did run out of gas, you could just, even while you're driving, you would feel it run out of gas, you'd reach down and you'd flip it onto reserve and there was a little more reserve gas in the tank and it would get you to your destination or get you to get some gas. So what, I, what happened was I got on Jack's motorcycle and I went down in the dark and I went and turned the fuel switch on and in fact, instead of turning it on, I turned it on reserve and I used all the gas in the reserve tank driving to Jenny Allen's house. So after throwing the pebbles and flirty, flirty, flirty or whatever, it's like three o'clock in the morning and I go to go home. No, can't start the bike. Just over and over. So I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a bummer. I lived about two miles up the hill from where Jenny lived, but instead I had to get on the bike and coast down the hill because I thought I'd compression start it, pop the clutch, see if I could get it going. There's no fuel. There's no power. There's no fuel, no combustion. There's no, the engine's not turning over. And I would think, oh, that didn't work. And I'd coast a little further down, pop the clutch, and I'd go further. And friends, I was getting further and further and further away from home with no power. Jack Baker had a really cool motorcycle, but for all intents and purposes, it was a bicycle without pedals. And I was worse off at the end than I was at the beginning. That, for me, is a perfect illustration of the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what God has promised. He's promised the Holy Spirit. He promised the gift of the Holy Spirit because the gift of the Holy Spirit turns our natural life into a supernatural life. The gift of the Holy Spirit turns what is human and flesh and of ourselves into a God-powered, infused life. Without the Holy Spirit, we become, somebody's applauding Jack's motorcycle. We be, we, without the Holy Spirit, we become sort of coasters if it's downhill. You with me? But with the Holy Spirit, we have the power to live the life that God has called us to live. And he has promised to send us his Holy Spirit. Now, 
I wish I could tell you way more about the Holy Spirit than I have time to. I will beg your pardon and your indulgence and drag you through a ton of scriptures because I want you to see this as a biblical message. But I can't say everything about it. And one of the things I can't talk about is the nature of the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit is one of the three members of the Trinity. And I tell you that because you may be saying, duh, but no, you may not. You may be going, right, okay, I need to know that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's part of the Trinity. And the scriptures refer to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead that God has sent on earth to be God's presence in and among his people. Before Jesus came, the Holy Spirit came certain times on certain people for certain reasons. But after the time of Jesus, all those people who said yes to the salvation of Christ get filled with God's power, with God's presence, with God's spirit. And so we want to look at this idea of the promised Holy Spirit. And the first thing I wanted to see is I want to see the promises. So, um, We'll have the scriptures on the screen. You may want to just flip through them if you're a note taker and going back and studying later. By the way, that's a great thing. That's not like a red hot or a teacher's pet. You know that? If you take notes, write down scriptures, then in your time alone with the Lord, go back and study the scriptures yourself. Awesome. Super good for your walk with God and, uh, and, what it, and to reinforce what we've talked about. But Luke 24, this is at the very end of Jesus' life. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. In fact, it's post-resurrection. He's meeting with his disciples. He opens their minds. They're like, wow, whoa, okay, now we get all of what the scriptures have taught. He told them, this is what is written. Here's the God thing. The Messiah will suffer. He'll rise from the dead on the third day. And, the repent and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. He's like, this is the plan from now on. And you are witnesses of these things. Verse 49, I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city or so stay in the city until you have been clothed with what? With power from on high. And just Really, just the next breath, Luke, he wrote Luke-Acts. If you look at Acts chapter 1, which is the second half of Luke's book, he's referring to the same experience. Verse 3, Acts 1-3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I love that, by the way, that over the next 40 days, he, Jesus kept showing up to convince them. He gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. One of the things, one of the convincing proofs was he showed up 40 days in a row alive. That kind of gave them their clue that maybe Jesus was alive. So this is Jesus is, is after his, his resurrection. He's showing up. He's talking about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, verse 4, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming. And he said, you know, you've heard about it. I've talked about it. The prophet Joel talked about it, that in the last days that began when Jesus uh, came on the scene, in those days, he said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. It's coming, the Holy Spirit. And then we know in Acts chapter 2, if you read the story of the birth of the church after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all the believers. Oh, man. God's presence came, the promised Holy Spirit of God turning the downhill coast into Jack's cool motorcycle. I, don't, I didn't know what to do with that metaphor. But the presence of God. 
And I got to tell you something, and just as an aside, because I don't have time to preach this, but I'm going to do it anyway really quick. God's Holy Spirit came on all those who believed in Christ. Now, I want to tell you that because I want to tell you the best biblical teaching. There are some groups, some types of Christianity that teach something different than this. And you guys, the best understanding of the Holy Scriptures is this, that when you say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to the salvation that Jesus offers, he gives you the gift of his Holy Spirit to come and dwell within you. That is over and over and over and over again. It's clear in the scriptures. Oh, you're going to have further experiences. You're going to have what some groups may call a second filling. And I hope you have what, you know, you have second, third, and fourth experiences. And I hope some of them are ecstatic. And some of you may end up having experiences like speaking in tongues. That's all awesome. But I want you to know the promise was that the Holy Spirit would come for all believers who have said yes to Jesus. So we repent, which means, God, you take my life. I want yours. And we believe that Jesus is our Savior. We say yes to his gift, and he then gives us his Holy Spirit. Every believer has it, okay? That's the best understanding of Scripture, and I want you to know that, which means that that kind of life is for all of us. Now, I want to look at our time remaining at our 2 Corinthians chapter 1 passage that we looked at a couple weeks ago when we introduced the idea of yes, and look and see in there sort of as a, as a way to frame a biblical survey of why did he promise and why did he give the Holy Spirit? Why did he promise and why did he give the Holy Spirit? Look at 2 Corinthians 1 again, just so you can see it. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Hashtag yes in Christ. And so him, so through him, the amen is spoken by us. Our yes is spoken. His promises are faithful and true and will happen. And we say yes to the glory of God. Now, verse 21. And you see some stuff in there about the Spirit. Verse 21, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He's saying, my promises are yes, and you're going to say yes, and that's going to bring glory to me. And he said, and this is all going to be about God. It's all going to be about God's power. My promises are filled because of God who makes us stand firm. Your yes is going to be fulfilled because of God who comes and works and woos you and strengthens you and empowers you and grabs you and moves you. It's God who does all this stuff. So that verse 21 is about him saying, and this is God who makes this thing happen. And then he talks about the Holy Spirit. He anointed us, one. He set a seal of ownership on us, two. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, three guaranteeing what is to come. I want to talk about those things because it frames the biblical teaching about why it is that he promised the Holy Spirit and then gave the Holy Spirit to us. It is because then this whole God life is powered by God. And that's the first thing. We're promised the Holy Spirit for power. We're promised the Holy Spirit for power. And that's where the motorcycle analogy really does work. You look again at that Luke 24 passage when Jesus is talking in the very last verse, I'm going to send you what my father has promised but you stay in the city till that promise comes until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then in Acts, the same way, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Later he said, you're going to be my witnesses in all Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And you're going to receive power when my spirit comes on you to do that. We've been promised the Holy Spirit for God power in us because friends, this God thing can't happen without God's power within us. That's the word anointed in verse 21 of our 2 Corinthians 1 passage. 
He anointed us is this promise. Anointing, when you see anointing in scripture, it is about the power of God coming on us. It's about God's power coming. So when you see somebody who prays, and we have, we have oil up here for sometimes people want to be anointed with oil, and we dab the oil, and we put, make a sign of a cross or do something else religious. But the point is the oil becomes a symbol. It's an anointing of the Spirit's power on you. We're saying we want God on you. And the Scriptures teach if, you, if, you, if you're sick or if you're struggling, then you come, you confess your sin, and you get anointed. And, and, and the person who, who uh, is anointed, and we pray over him in the Spirit, that, that will make the sick person well. I mean, there's these promises of the power of God coming. So whenever you see anointing in the Scriptures, it's about God's power. And the promise of the Holy Spirit was he's going to come and, and he, God has anointed us. You, you could see this in, in uh, the Old Testament characters who were anointed, kings and, and priests and prophets. In fact, David's anointing, I have the text here for uh, when David became um, chosen as the one who would be the king of Israel. Jesse was David's dad and he had seven sons passed before Samuel who was looking by God's uh, calling. He was looking for, for the, the king that God had picked. So seven sons of Jesse went by and Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And this is such a God thing to be like, well, we just have the youngest, but he's like tending sheep. He's not like a, he's not really king material. He's just like a sheep boy. So that's not going to happen. It's so like God. They're always like, is there somebody else? Because you've given us all the likely candidates. Is there somebody else? And he's like, yes, there's sheep boy. That translates me and you. And so, oh, I forgot, sorry, got preaching. So he goes, they're still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We're not going to sit down until he arrives. We want God's will. So verse 12, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. No, no idea why that's in there. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And look at that line. From that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. That is a picture for all of us, you guys. Why did God send the Holy Spirit for us? We're promised the Holy Spirit for power because when we say yes to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes on us. We're anointed by the Holy Spirit and from that day forward, the Spirit of God comes on you powerfully. And I'm talking about a life that you cannot explain by you being so smart and good-looking and put together. We need God's power, his strength to go uphill, friends. Not coasting downhill to go uphill. We need God to come through in our lives. We need God's strength and power in our world, in our issues, in our health, in our challenges. We need God. We are people who have the Holy Spirit of God for power to live beyond ourselves. I mean, are we the kind of people that take advantage of that Holy Spirit's power in our lives that week after week we have stories of going, you're never going to believe what happened. 
the kind of stuff that I was wrestling with, that I was struggling with, man, God came through. I cried out, I asked him and he showed up. Can you believe it? This person that needed so much help that nobody, we didn't know what to do for this person. I prayed over him and God the next day found him a job. You know, that how did you get through that difficult circumstance that you went through for months after months? You didn't see the answers. How did you do that? Those people who walk with God know the answer to that. They go, God strengthened me. I think back on just the simplest stuff in life. I think back on my wife, raising four kids and how difficult that was and times when it was like driving her crazy. And it's like, how did God get you through that? It's because I had God's power every day. And some of you have dealt with health problems and some of you have dealt with unemployment and some of you have dealt, you name it. We're talking about strength that is beyond us. God comes in power. And then he comes, I can't, this is a whole other sermon. He comes with gifts. He comes in power with gifts. You know what gifts are? Spiritual gifts. Well, they're a gift. There's something God gives you and they're unique power, God, power, something that he puts inside of you that you get to give to the world. And when you give it, God is showing up. God's showing up in the world. God's showing up in his church. That's what spiritual gifts are. You ought to know what your spiritual gifts are, friends, because it's the thing that God has given you so that when you show up, people go, whoa, God's in the house. There's something going on here. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Because you get your spiritual gifts and you show up and you start letting those gifts happen around people, they start Learning, growing, changing, encountering God. That's what we get to do. But many of us are living lives coasting downhill with no engine on further and further from home. Not being who we're supposed to be. Okay, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, if you don't know how God has put in you something that will rock the world for him, like you do it, you teach, you encourage, you serve, you have wisdom. You got, what is it? If you don't know, you got to find out. You got to go study spiritual gifts. You got to ask people who know. You got to go Google spiritual gifts. You got to do what you got to do. But you got to figure it out. We're promised the Holy Spirit for power, strengths, gifts, and it's resurrection power. In talking, about, in talking about the Holy Spirit coming, Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter one, he goes, I pray. You don't have this verse up there, but I pray that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is like the mighty strength which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That's your power. It's raised from the dead power. He goes, I pray that you may know the Holy Spirit's power in you. And that power is like the same power he did when he did the Jesus raised from the dead thing. So you have power in you. Why did God give us the Holy Spirit? So that you have raised the dead kind of power in you because there's stuff in you that's dead and needs life. There's a world that's dying and needs life. You can be life by God's power in you. Are we living supernatural lives, church? I'm like, wake up, I gotta wake up. Do you gotta wake up to that? Okay, just me and Todd. All right, that works. That's all right. That's his yes. Here's the Holy Spirit for supernatural power. Your life becomes supernatural. That's his yes. And then our yes is we cry out to him, oh God, you come, I need your resurrection power in my life. I need you to show up with resurrection power. That's our yes, that we don't live life just coasting. This is all I can do. This is what I'm about. This is the strength that I have. This is what I can accomplish. We don't do that. We wait for God's power in our life because he'll answer that prayer. He promised it, that he would show up with power. God, you come bring resurrection power. You come raised from the dead kind of stuff in me. Let that be our daily yes to God as Holy Spirit people. 
He promised us the Holy Spirit for power. Second, he promised us the Holy Spirit for leading. You go back to the first Corinthians, second Corinthians passage. There's that phrase in verse 22. He set his seal of ownership on us. He set his seal of ownership on us in verse 22. So now these are anointing, there's power, but then there's, there's this, this leading piece. He set his seal of ownership on us. Well, how does that leading? Well, a seal, a king's seal, like a royal seal, was like a signet ring, like it was a, like a wax seal that he would put over a document, he would put over a decree, he would put over some sort of a, um, um, a title, and um, you know, like a deed. And that became his ownership and his authority and his will was encapsulated in that. And nobody could break that seal. His will was irreversible. He said, this is my ownership. This is my will. This is my desire. And I'm the king. And that's final. Okay, that's what a seal is. And it says, the scripture says, he gave the Holy Spirit and put his seal of ownership on us. What does that mean? It means that he said, here's my Holy Spirit, you believer. And now you are mine. You belong to me, and that will never change. Nobody can reverse my heart, my decree, my ownership, our relationship, my will happening in your life. It's a settled deal. You are mine. Now, do you hear the leadership piece in there? So then we say, then I will follow you. I belong to you. That settles it. If we became Christians, if we said yes to the good news of Jesus' forgiveness because we wanted to pull the genie out of the bottle and have him fix a few things in my life and then go on living the way that we were living before, we've missed the whole gospel. The gospel, friends, is we say yes to Jesus' forgiveness and then we say, and I give up my life for you. You are mine and I am yours and my whole life is for you now. You see, when... The Holy Spirit comes, it becomes this ownership, this attachment to our Heavenly Father, and now we follow Him. I know, that's not easy, is it? That's why the gospel is offensive to our flesh. I don't want to follow anybody. But that's good news, because we were created to be owned by Him, loved by Him, adopted by Him, and then follow His leading. He gave us the Holy Spirit for that leading. Romans 12 has this great passage that sums up a number of these things. Romans 12, uh, sorry, 8, 12. Romans 8, 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh or to live naturally, living according to it naturally. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's the coasting downhill idea. You just get further and further away from the life that God intends for us. But if by the Spirit you put to death any misdeeds of the body, that's life. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. See the ownership and the leading. Those who are children of God are led by God and follow him. Those who are led by God are children of God. That's our identity. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. And by him we cry, Daddy, you're my dad, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. There's an ownership, there's a connection, and now he leads us. You see it all in that passage? And are we people who say, you are my God, you are my king, you are my Lord, your will, your ownership, you're my dad, I'm in your family, and now I follow you. Are you a Christ follower? 
The Spirit was promised and given for power, but for leading, that he would guide us in the life that he has designed for us. Now, you may not be letting Jesus lead you. I mean, really, pragmatically, you may not be letting Jesus lead you because you're so put together and you're so well-educated and you've got Google to help with everything. That's coasting downhill, friends. Because the best decisions that you're making and the success that you're finding and the relative ease and comfort with which your life is working now doesn't guarantee that that's God's will. We're supposed to be spirit-led people. And sometimes God's leading isn't about, oh, the wisdom I've gained and the education that I've gotten and the advice that I've been given and the normal path that most people do or even the logical path. Spirit-led is, which way, God? What are you doing? How do I do it? Where are you leading me? That, friends, is a daily cry. His yes is I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. His yes is I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to lead you because you'll be my son and my daughter. And our yes is, oh, God, I need your Holy Spirit to guide me. I need you, God, I need you today. I could figure out today, but I don't want to be coasting downhill without a motor. I could probably figure it out. I want your will. And many of you are like, probably figure it out. I've tried to figure it out. I've seen what can happen when I live my life apart from the Lordship of Jesus. Man, now, is this a, is this a tough gospel? I mean, I'm talking all in, right? Like, are we, are we Christians or not? Like, are we Jesus ones or not? Are we people who say, Jesus is our Savior, and I belong to him, and so today I will follow him? Come on, church. It's hardcore. He gave us the Holy Spirit for power, and he gave us the Holy Spirit for leadership. And so we cry out, then lead me, God. You lead me. So, so far, if you don't know what to pray and you don't know what your prayer life is about, so far your prayer is, God, I need your resurrection strength and power in my life. And God, you've got to lead me today. I don't want to be coasting. The last thing is, is that he sent his Holy Spirit for fruit or for fruitfulness or maybe you could even say for transformation. He sent the Holy Spirit to transform us. And you look back at that passage in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 1 and it has that last phrase and it says, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You know what a deposit is, right? A deposit is a part given as a guarantee, as a promise. A part of it has been promised, has been given as a promise that the rest is going to come, that the whole is forthcoming. It's a first installment and more will come. And he gave us the Holy Spirit to experience that. And we don't have time to go into the other verses I have for you, but you look back in, in, uh, in Romans. There's another passage in Romans 8 where it, it talks about how we're experiencing the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits. And that Spirit is a deposit. We're going to experience some of the fruit of God, some of the transformation of God. And it's just the beginning. We're going to be transformed more and more. Paul told the Corinthians, he said that uh, you will be transformed with ever-increasing glory into the likeness of Jesus. That's the first fruit of God's work in your life. And we know that it's the first fruit because the Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit 
is the character qualities of God that you're going to become like. It's how your life is going to be changed into being more and more godly, more and more like God, more and more like Jesus. And we have the first fruits now, and we're going to have more and more of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so he sends his Holy Spirit to keep transforming us. Here's the first fruits. Here's some of the character. Here's some of the transformation. You keep with it, and we're going to continue to transform you. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? You remember those from Galatians 5? This is the kind of stuff that God's making you to be. And you're like, man, I wish I could be kinder to my children. Man, I wish I could stop these kinds of habits. Man, I wish I could be that kind of a man. Man, I wish I could. And it's like, we cry, that his yes is, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit for fruit, for transformation. That's his yes. And our yes is, oh God, you come and change me. We cry out, Holy Spirit, I need you to come and transform me. Change me into who I'm supposed to be. I need you, God, to make me the true me that you desire. So, the Holy Spirit has been promised. Band, why don't you come up because we want to make sure we have time to worship at the end of our gathering here. His yes, his yes, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit for power, for leading, for fruit, for transformation. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And your yes is that we cry out, oh God, you come and you bring that power in my life. You come and do miraculous work. You come and do God-sized stuff in and through me in this world. Oh God, you come guide me because I got to know how to live so I'm not just coasting downhill. And your yes is, God, you come and transform me. I need your power to be the real me, the true me, the holy me, the righteous me, the me that you have conceived in your mind that I can be. I'm, I'm out of my power to do that. You come. So his yes, here's the Holy Spirit. Our yes, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And the scriptures have some other really disturbing verses in them that says, you were sealed with him, so don't grieve him. Don't quench him. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. He's been given to you. Don't run from him. Don't turn away from him. Don't listen to him. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for God's glory, for the day of redemption. So our response in worship now, our response every day is, then come. We cry out, Holy Spirit, you come. Let's respond now and worship to the Lord.